Deborah Waikapohe is both a singing teacher and one of Aotearoa's most respected sopranos. So, who better to teach me how to sing opera? Waikapohe has also returned to the proscenium arch this month, performing as Eurydice in New Zealand Opera and Black Grace's co-production of Morpheus. Here's a sample. a piece from New Zealand Opera and a Black Grace co-production of Morpheus. It's playing at the Opera House Wellington. Deborah Waikapohi plays Eurydice. Deborah, can you tell us what's going on in that scene? In that scene, um, Orfeo is descending into the underworld and the Furies aren't too happy about it. (laughs) And so you can hear a lot of uh, stomping and that is the wonderful dancing of Black Grace and also the the wonderful dancing of the ensemble. Um, In Morpheus, the ensemble are a major player in the opera and they consist of a group of wonderful, young, talented Pacifica and Māori singers and they dance as well, so that's what you can hear. We're going to do a bit of a singing lesson. Ooh, fabulous. I'm nervous, I'm not <laughs> going to lie. I've got my warm water here next to me. I've heard that helps. Yes. Uh, but I'm also willing to absolutely bail from the singing lesson if we decide it's not a future career for me. Um, so how do you begin with a new singer or a new student? My first uh, step is to refer to the hundreds of years of teaching that have gone before um, in terms of the old Italian style. It's, it's, these days it's known as bel canto, but really um, bel canto has many meanings today, and so I refer to the old Italian style. Um, and, of course, that was captured in writing uh, by Manuel Garcia, Jr., and so I, I, what I do is I say to the students that uh, it is part of that school of singing's thinking that everybody can sing mm. and that it is a, a matter um, of training the voice as one would train an athlete. We look at it in terms of muscles. And uh, so the first thing I would say is to look at alignment of the body Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and of course that is if (laughs) there's a body part sticking out too far in one direction (laughs) that's probably not a line (laughs) I'm sitting up as straight as I possibly can while sitting down (laughs) yeah so you know that's one thing if the bottom's sticking out too far to the back you know perhaps tuck um, the pelvis in a little bit loosen off the knees if the if the if the chin's jutting out too far in the front just tuck it back 
Um, if, if you look like you're reading an iPhone while you're singing, that's probably not a good. So I try and use some common sense, um, you know, ideas with alignment. And I also say if you're too like, much like a, a soldier, too stiff, um, it, that is not alignment. But if you're too, too relaxed, too relaxed um, that's not alignment. So I begin with that just common sense approach to it. And then the second thing I would say to someone is, is perhaps imagine you're in the library and there's someone speaking too loud and you go, Exact. Now, if you place your hand on your just below your belly button, button, um, you and now try the shh again. Shh. And can you feel anything moving just now when you do that? It just goes out. <laughs> Great. So, so you know, there go your abs. They're doing their job. They're releasing the air. So, it's a very common sense approach to singing that we we need our abs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and and then I get pretty much straight on to the uh, to the fact that I'm wanting to help someone unlock their range as quickly as possible. So I use the R vowel to explore the lower range for mm-hmm. a, for the female voice, and then I use U to explore the upper range for the female voice. So mm-hmm. let's try that um, <laughs> now. Um, can you try something like this? Uh, and just see if you can go as low as you can go and then past as low as you can go. So, in fact, you're not making any sound at all. It's so low. So could you please have a go at that for Alina? <laughs> all right, here we go. Ah. Uh... Wonderful. So what we heard just then was you were going from what we call M1 to M0, or in other words, you were going from the speaking voice to a vocal fry type of yes. uh, sound that we tend to get with a lot of young people these days when they speak. And those the Kardashians, are, I think. That's oh, it. It's a Kardashian thing. It is. And speaking it's a, in the back of your voice. Oh, yes. That, yes. that croaky sound down the bottom. Yes. Wonderful for pop music. <laughs> if you want to do a dowel, you can throw in that vocal fry anywhere in your range and get that wonderful creaking sound like your voice has just undergone five bottles of whiskey and (laughs) (laughs) so um, I would probably access that vocal fry if I was teaching you some Adele but obviously it's not a sound that we would want an opera because opera is unamplified Mm. so um, the carrying power is in the speaking voice so when you began Ah, you were in your speaking voice could I please hear just your speaking voice again and a few little notes like that Ah, lovely. So we could hear, there's your speaking voice. Another name for that is the chest voice. And when I sing in my role in um, Morpheus, I sing um, sometimes in that chest voice. Mm. So I assist the singers to use that speaking voice, but I don't go above what I call the Malba point. And now Dame Nellie Malba was a famous opera singer uh, at the turn of the century. Um, We're talking 1900s here. And um, Dame Nellie Malba has written that a female voice should not take that speaking voice above the Malba point. And that is for longevity of the voice. Right. Um, She herself would take it above the Malba point, which is around an E, um, just above the middle C on the piano. Mm -hmm. So um, I would... Then, if I was going to be taking your voice higher, I'd make sure that we didn't use that speaking voice and we did something like this. Zoo. 
Ooh, have a go at that one. <laughs> zoo. Lovely. So when you got to the top, zoo, I actually heard a beautiful, um, what we call a... Uh, we call it the head voice. That's the old-fashioned yeah. name for it, or the new name is M2, or you, we can call it the singing voice. And that ooh is the sound that carries the voice in a theatre without ampl- amplification. Mm. Um, so that head voice is essential to great operatic singer mm. singing. So have another go. Ooh, something like that. <laughs> ooh. Lovely. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, croakiness and also um, sometimes notes cutting out or even, mm. um, yeah, just notes. Those are all things that I encourage because it's about playing with your voice. That was a lovely carrying sound. So that um, sound is developed. And then, of course, the job for a classical singing teacher is to make sure that we can join the speaking voice to the he- to the head voice mm. without uh, noticeable difference so it would be something like this so I just used my speaking voice and on the top I used that that calling voice I joined Mm. them together seamlessly so I don't know if that was that in tune that, but but what's more, what's more important at this stage is more the muscular activity. Would you like to have a go at that? I'll give it a go. It, it was actually very good what you did, <laughs> and I could see that you were struggling on the bottom with perhaps um, wanting to begin it mm. actually in a singing voice and take it all the way through. And um, that could be that, um, in fact, you you might have a lower voice. Um, and so what we call we what we call that Melba point um, for a soprano it's E, but for a mezzo it's going to be lower. Mm. Um, so you know we would also explore your voice and actually find out what voice type it was, and we'd make yeah. sure that that you didn't take that chest too high. So what we heard then was all in the head voice. Oh, that was so out of tune again. Oh dear. But <laughs> but that's what we heard was you just stayed in the, in the singing voice, and that was absolutely lovely. Our bodies are one part of the puzzle. The mm. other part of the puzzle is the acoustic that we're working in. Mm. So the Italians designed the technique that I use for a particular type of building. Um, and the, and it, so that acoustic matches what we're doing. And um, and so one one really p- important part of, of singing operatically is the fact that we actually can't hear ourselves when we're singing properly. Oh, it's like a funny buzzing sound. If we're singing properly, it's a sort of a buzzing, funny, horrible sound in our heads. And so I can go on stage and I swear to God that nothing came out of my voice just then. Um, I, you know, And then I often will actually place a recording device in the theatre and I'll listen to it after the show to convince myself that something actually came out. That is fascinating. Yeah, and it's not with all classical singing. Um, it's only because the Italian style focuses on a, what we call a ventriloquist 
mouth and it creates a particular oh. acoustic and and so we actually hear only a buzzing funny horrible sound in our heads but some other forms of classical singing they will be able to hear themselves uh, like more clearly definitely with my school of singing we hear uh, hardly anything and so I feel often I need someone in the audience to tell me that they could hear me sing. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. It is, it is. It's a bit of a psychological game. So also working with singers, um, there's that aspect to to cover as well. Mm. Mm. Morpheus, this is the... It's a reimagining of the Mm. 18th century Orpheus and Eurydice by Christopher Gluck. Yes. But with a Pacifica lens, is this quite unique for the audience? It, it'll be very unique for the audience. Um, in in many ways, this reimagining is absolutely. Uh, there's how do I put? There's been presidents before. Um, there have been this this opera has undergone many different performances and ways of looking at it and instrumentation and even the ending has been changed before so mm. in 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 many ways the opera itself this this is following a, a strong historical tradition of altering the opera to suit the the, the period that it's being displayed in mm. however for our audience it's going to be unique because you know, we're going to be singing some of it in Salmon, and mm-hmm. uh, there will be beautiful Salmon dances that they will see mm. that will combine with classical forms um, of dance. They will hear operatic singing with the occasional non-operatic sound. So it, it will be unique to them, and um, I think they'll be very entertained. And it's not too long. And you've, you're, you're singing and performing uh, on one side, you're yes. also retraining or you've retrained as a lawyer. Oh, yes, I did that before the pandemic and it was mm. a bit of a slow thing because I started when I was in my 20s and then uh, a, a, a wonderful barrister in Auckland said to me, oh, law's for boring people, so <laughs> maybe say that when you're older. That's what he said. <laughs> and, and and so I went, went back uh, to law school when the kids were really little and they basically learned how to write um, according to the Australian Constitution, so... <laughs> So it's an annual event to watch the castle and <laughs> and laugh about the Australian constitution. But that's that's when I went back, and then it was a slow process to be admitted because really law for me is an intellectual pursuit. It's a hobby. I mm. find it immensely interesting, mm. but singing is the passion.